friends. Welcome to another episode of the Insecurity Project podcast. Now, this this podcast has been going for almost five years. I started early 2018 and we are coming toward the end 2022. And if you do the math, that's nearly five years. Um, I, I was thinking about the, the future of this podcast. And as I've heard, you've heard me say before, I'm so surprised it's lasted this long because often I'll get to the end of an episode and think, huh, um, that's all I've got to say about anything. I don't think I'll ever say anything more intelligent on this subject ever again. And then somehow there's another thing to say, and so I'll say it. But it got me thinking about um, going behind Patreon. So some of the podcasts I love um, have a model where you, you pay to listen, and that's great. But I've, I've never paid for a podcast, so I enjoy podcasts but don't pay for them. And I thought about putting mine behind a paywall. And I don't think that's the game I want to play, actually, because if the moment I do that and and I have people subscribe to my podcast, paying a monthly or weekly membership, then you expect me to keep producing content to get value for your money. And what what if I've got nothing to say this week or next week? Then you feel ripped off. So... Um, the game that I'm playing is I'll only say something when I've got something to say. So for that reason, this podcast will always remain free. And uh, there are plenty of ways that you can pay me for my work, as you do if you find value in it. I, I love I love the idea of a free market economy. If I have value that solves important problems, then it makes sense for you to buy those products and services. If they don't solve problems then the market will give me very accurate feedback that what I'm producing has no value so I'm happy with that model that that works really well for me Uh, now this week look an exciting uh, announcement an exciting product launch in that I've got a new scorecard some of you most of you have probably taken my insecurity tests the insecurity test for life or the insecurity test for business at some point over the last couple of years uh, and they're great. They're a really insightful window into where insecurity is costing you the most, either in your life or in your business. Um, and then it's it's a great way into a vulnerable subject because if you can see the cost, which is so easy to avoid, you know, just because something's killing you doesn't mean you have to pay attention to that. Um, but if you do, then that pain actually motivates you to take action and make change. So that's the that's the point of drawing attention to the real cost so that you have a pain experience with insecurity and go, huh, then I better do something about this. And then you go find uh, that there's a book being written and a plan to solve this problem, this very predictable problem. So uh, in that book, you'll notice that I talk a lot about the change window and that this 35 to 45 window is the ideal conditions for doing this work. And in fact, I I think insecurity is kind of a rocket fuel before that anyway. One of my clients was asking me this week whether he thought, whether I thought, um, the motivation gained from security was equal to higher than or less than the motivation gained from insecurity in terms of, you know, output. And and I think there's no way security output matches insecurity output. You'll do things driven by the need to prove yourself and defend yourself that are that are ridiculous, that are outlandish, that are impossible (laughs) that just make no sense because you have to because to be found out to be exposed is just not an option so you fight and force and demand and discipline and override and you just get it done people do extraordinary 
ridiculous magic things. So I don't think output is matched with security, but the quality is definitely dramatically different. Obviously, the people who do genuinely good work in the world are not proving anything or defending any anything. They're giving out of the overflow of uh, beautiful knowledge that they're fine, and then they've got something to give. And so all that to say, this midlife window is the time to do this work, and that's that's where I love helping people because it makes sense then that that's the time to do the work well then I better make it clear what work there is to do and how to do it so the new scorecard is a midlife performance review and it's for people who are frustrated uh, bemused curious annoyed discouraged disappointed about their energy levels their motivation levels their clarity and their confidence levels waning decreasing on the decline and they can point to periods in their life of great energy motivation clarity and confidence and they're they're just you know at a loss to understand what's gone wrong why can't they access all that fuel now why can't they just make themselves do what they've always been able to do why can't they just get it done why can't they stop being such a little bitch and just toughen up and have some cement pills and work harder and sleep less and read david goggins and you know go be crazy well Here's the thing, because self-discipline is a young person's game uh, and self-permission is the upgrade. Very counterintuitive, totally countercultural. Uh, but this scorecard will help you review what's actually going on. Um, what, what is the reason that your performance has declined? Uh, and I've, I've said on other podcasts and, and written about this, the idea that the central dilemma you're solving midlife is you need permission from yourself to go up and out into the world beyond midlife. You don't need permission early on. You can just fight and steal and demand that you have access to those resources when you're young. But eventually your unconscious goes, I love you too much to allow you to continue to be so stupid and crazy and unsustainable and short-sighted and malicious and manage me and misunderstand what's actually going on here so could we do a, could we do it better please like could, could we not have this kind of relationship um, and because the unconscious is far stronger than the conscious uh, uh, the unconscious goes well i'll just pull the handbrake on or pull fuses out i will limit you i'll get in your way i will sabotage your progress all for the intention of drawing you to the point where you're willing to have a conversation about what's actually going on and then understand there are some certain things that are very dangerous in your world that would need to be addressed in order for you to have full permission to then level up power up and succeed into the future so this test is going to help you to get eyes on the four key things you would need to upgrade in order to have permission from yourself to succeed beyond midlife so uh, i'm excited about what it will give you access to and you know, love working in this space with people to help them transition from discipline to permission. So if you are on my mail list, you will get access to that today. That'll be on my website or some kind of pop-up or banner or some advertisement that you'll see from today as well. So you'll be able to access that. If you follow me on the socials, click on my link tree on Instagram and you'll have a link to that. Um, But I'll be banging on about this quite frequently, I'd imagine, from here. So you'll find this test easily take the test see what it reveals and follow the instructions as to, as to what to do to solve the problem but now today uh, this this verse and look i'm gonna i'm gonna quote the bible here some of you that, that don't turn off just yet like just listen um i'm gonna give you a bit of my christian backstory and how i process this and where i'm at 
with my thinking about spirituality and faith and religion and God, all that good stuff. I'm going to share my thoughts on that. But just to just to start up with this verse, so, so Jesus is quoted to have said in his Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That verse has been rattling around in my head and my heart for some reason for probably uh, I don't know, maybe six months I think and I've been ruminating on it more and more recently and I, I just love the essence of what I think it's saying and I think it is a very important point to address here because uh, I, I, that, is, that is true for me when I, when I think about my experience of life now presently uh, I feel pure in heart so, so I feel the work around resolving my own insecurity understanding who I really am what is inside me why I do what I do am I a good person or a bad person am I worthy of love or not like resolving all the existential angst and dis- and coming back to a place where I, I genuinely think I'm delightful and I trust my nature um, so I, I show up in the world from a place of confidence and security that I have a pure heart. And guess what happens next? I see God everywhere. So the beautiful experiences of my life are frequently spiritual. They're frequently magic. They're, f- they're frequently transcendent. They're frequently beautiful. They take my breath away, moments of reverence and awe and presence and flow where time s- stops and the wonder of life takes over. Now, you know, growing up in a Christian world, so my, my parents were, you know, beautiful Christians, and their Christianity was was a lovely version of it, and one that I enjoyed, made sense to me, and really wanted to follow wholeheartedly, and so I did. But I think that reflecting on it now, uh, the central dilemma of that Christianity. The problem it was solving was, hey, you, your heart is not pure. You are a sinner. There's a problem with you. You're deceitful. You are selfish. You're wicked. You're manipulative. You're lustful. You're angry. You're unkind. You're, you're a bad person. And that's, that's just who you are. That's what's going on with you. And look, if you want evidence for that, just look at what you do. Look at the mistakes you make. Look at how you hurt yourself and others. There's plenty of evidence that says you're corrupt, you're broken, that you, you are dangerous, you know, there's a problem with you. And and I think you kind of know that to be true, actually. I think you're aware of that if you're actually honest. And so the solution we're offering you you know, in the Christian world is that if you were to believe in Jesus as the Savior and repent from your sin, so decide that you don't want to be a bad person anymore, you'd, you'd like to be a good person now, well, you can come and ask for forgiveness for your sins and and trust that Jesus loves you and accepts your repentance and covers and pays for all the wrong that you've done and washes you clean and guarantees you eternal life with a loving God forever and ever. So, you know, that's a really beautiful message if you're convinced that you're a bad person. That's that's wonderfully good news. And so... That, that made sense to me. That was life-giving for me and so many others around the world. That is a life-giving message. But I just 
I have problems with it now because I'm a pragmatic person and I like to ask questions and I like to think clearly. And it just doesn't make sense simply because what if the what if the problem is not actually the problem? What if what if you're not actually a bad person? And I know people have all like I mean this is the human condition. You hear me talk about this all the time. I think this is one of the most general summaries of human people the thing that we have in common most is this issue that not one of us escape our childhood unwounded not one of us escape our childhood without having painful disappointing upsetting moments loss heartache discouragement pain failure and the problem with those experiences is that we cannot help make sense of them and and in our limited awareness of why they're happening and what they mean about us we personalize them negatively against ourselves so no child escapes their childhood without picking up a measure of woundedness no child escapes their childhood without developing limiting beliefs about themselves forming opinions assumptions agreements that that there is a problem with them They've had an experience where they showed up just as they were, trusted their nature to lead them into situations, and it went bad. And it was embarrassing and shocking and traumatic and troubling. And in the fallout, as they've reviewed the data around that, they went, well, clearly I was wrong. Clearly I cannot trust myself. I make mistakes. I hurt people. I get it wrong. I embarrass myself. I get rejected. So there's a problem with me that now needs to be hidden and managed. So, so then people embark on one of two solutions. They run or they hide. They go to the lengths of the earth to prove that that's not true, that they are good, or they find some pocket of the world which protects them from being found out. So that is a, a central way that humans have thought about the problem of being human. And I think you know throughout time on some way shape or form every human has had their own version of that dilemma from from wherever and whenever we started i'm sure that's a, a central problem we've all had to tackle so um, you know the, it makes sense then for religion to come in and fill that void and and people are looking for a solution and looking to get out of that angst and that pain and so if someone's saying well there is a way to have your nature cleansed well then give me that solution that's a beautiful solution I want that solution but if you can just think a little bit more intelligently about the problem in the first place and rather than running or hiding come back and review the data and actually examine what what really went down and what it actually means about you then there is no logic that suggests you know that time when you stole that money from that kid in year three and lied to your mum about it and never got found out. If you actually review the data around that experience, even though you're embarrassed about it and you regret it and uh, things change from that moment, if you were to have a clean look at it, why did you do that? Well, a bunch of reasons and none of them because you're a terrible kid. Like there, There is no logic that says the reason you did that is because you are desperately wicked looking to rape pillage steal from the earth and hurt as many people as possible you're a kid trying to fit in trying to be loved trying to be accepted trying to find certainty 
grappling with a difficult adult world with complexity and challenges. You've got needs, you've got desires, you've got fears. There's a bunch of drivers going on that don't always produce beautiful behavior. But if you are able to separate your behavior from your intentions, there is no logic that says the reason you did bad things is because you are a bad person. That cannot stand up. I don't care who you are. I don't care what... Like, I've lived 43 years. Now, that's that's a lot of years, but there are people who've lived more. So that's not the world record. And I've been to a number of countries, perhaps 10 in my lifetime. Now, that's a lot of countries, but there are a lot more countries I haven't been to. And in that time... I've met a lot of people. Let's say I've met, let's say I've met a thousand people in my 43 years in 10 nations. Um, I don't know. That feels. I reckon I've met more than that. Uh, and in in the data that I've experienced, which is still small, I've yet to encounter a human being where, when I look at them objectively, I say, "Oh, yeah, you are an example of someone who is totally." bad I've, I've yet to find a bad person now you might say I'm optimistic I look at the world with rose colored rose colored glasses but or what if it's just the ability to think clearly what if it's just the ability to rationalize why people do the things that they do surely surely all the advancements in the worlds of psychology and philosophy and human behavioral science give us a better way of answering that question than ever before you got to think about the fact that uh, people are grappling we're grappling with the human condition for a long time the bible is the book written an awful long time ago um, you know the, the the old testament isn't started as an oral culture telling stories around campfires passing them on to their kids and eventually somewhere uh, around 500 600 bc first records of writing being being actually transcribed those stories onto papyrus none of those scrolls have survived um, but the the then later editions of those stories eventually make it through and are recovered and interpreted and understood and people grapple with what they mean and uh, make sense of them and then the new testament uh, all the the teachings of jesus and the the teaching of the early church fathers they're told as stories and then eventually recorded, but recorded, you know, the, um, the early church fathers, the, the disciples didn't record their accounts of their time with Jesus until, uh, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60 years later. That, that's a long time, a long time to process what went down, a long time to make sense of it, a long time to grapple with, oh, yeah, this is what happened and this is what I saw and this is what I think it means and then condensed into what is now known as the Bible in the 4th century, late in the 4th century, and then not changed ever since. So sure, you know, the Bible provides some answers around the central dilemma of you think you're a bad person and here's a solution. Uh, great, beautiful, and for many people that is, a, that is a better solution than the one they've had before that. But I'm not convinced it's the best solution. I, I just can't say that. Now... Some are going to love this episode. Some are really going to hate it. And I don't know how I feel about that other than, well, I've always thought about my writing and my speaking as though I'll just say what I'm going to say and my intention is to add value and 
give you more awareness and choice and you can make of it what you will I can't control that end I can just do as best as I can to communicate as sincerely and wholeheartedly and as, as thought through as I can possibly about this subject so you'll yeah you'll you'll make of it what you will uh, but I think the reason people cling to religion is that they are terrified of their nature unmanaged just like everybody else and everyone has their own versions of what they do to manage the fallout of what they fear to be true about themselves religion is one of those versions one of the management strategies so this first blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see god it takes you out of religion it, it takes you out of Christianity. That's the irony of it. What if you were to examine your own nature, reconcile the misunderstandings of your childhood, and come and see that you have always been good, you've always been inherently good? Then the world opens up for you in an extraordinary way, and you find God, whoever God is, whatever God is like, you find God around you, everywhere, inside you, inside others, in the world of nature, in the world of science, in the world of art, in the world of music. It is a spiritual existence when you trust your nature. I, I got the, the language Trust Your Nature from William Whitecloud, his book, The Magician's Way. I love that book. If you're looking for a good book, that's I think that's the top of the pops for me at the moment. That It always... You know, maybe not. Maybe the Four Agreements might still be slightly higher, but The Magician's Way, William Whitecloud, is is an incredible book. Um, But I don't agree on one central part of his his work because he says, you know, obviously when you trust your nature, you have access to magic. The supernatural world opens up to you and what you're you're capable of is, is extraordinary. You bring all your resourcefulness to bear on the world breathtaking what's possible Uh, but you can solve that problem here now by just trusting your nature from today you you don't need to go back and examine why you didn't why you don't trust yourself or when you betrayed yourself or when you've deviated from this knowledge that your nature is fine just now right here understand there's no problem with you you're okay and live as though that's true and trust your nature I don't think that's possible. I really don't. And I think that is that is the Christian dilemma. I, I had extraordinary experiences, very spiritual experiences, all through my upbringing as a Christian. And, you know, I was a pastor for 10 years. Had some epic encounters with God as the language I would use at the time. Um, but they were escape strategies. They were, how do I get out of being a human and go into some otherworldly experience? But then you wake up the next day and you're still a human and you still got to get up and get dressed and go to work and earn money and talk to friends and work out what to do with yourself. So the central problem still hasn't gone away. It's just you've just found an escape from it for a short term. So I am absolutely convinced that the most important adult work is to review the data of your childhood and to face the misunderstandings around what you think is so wrong with you. If you don't, it will always be there. It will linger. You have lived in that story for so long and gathered so much evidence that it's true. You can't just live as though it's not because you think it is. 
So you've got to go back and review it. And if you don't review it, well, you'll do whatever you can to run or hide. That's your only other option. It's too terrifying. The thought of there is a problem with you. So if you use religion to absolve your human problem, well, you won't find God because it's the pure in heart that see God. So you'll see some other thing. You'll find religion. Now, some of you may feel like I'm being overly simplistic. Some of you with a deep and devout faith might feel like I'm glossing over the central dilemma. But let, let's have another look at, at the problem of sin. So let's just think clearly about it. The, the best, most accurate origin of that word is to miss the mark. So yeah, that that's true. We do miss the mark. Absolutely. But why? Why do we miss the mark? Surely that question demands some good thinking. Do we miss the mark because we're bad? Or do we miss the mark because we're needy? <laughs> like they're two very different answers that produce two very different ways of thinking uh, in in the I have a degree in theology and in the, the study that I did one of the things I particularly enjoyed was some of the Hebraic ways of thinking about this dilemma and some of the earliest text or the earliest stories recorded all the way back to the Genesis account of you know the beginning of the world and so um, the Old Testament opens with the, the earliest lines say, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and, and on and on and the seven days of creation and God adding certain things adding light and then separating land and water and adding creatures and, um, and then adding man and, and the distinction being God made man in his image and said it's good man, man is good now the Greco-Roman way of telling the story which was um, just a bit of church history so that you can get some context here so um, Christianity is a Jewish sect it is it is an offshoot of Hebraic culture the Jewish worldview uh, and so you know for after Jesus died and the people who believed Jesus was the Messiah and, and thought that his way was the way broke off and devoted themselves to his teaching and that early church started there um, but early on for the first 300 years they were persecuted uh, as uh, as wild people um, in fact the Romans used to uh, have fun at their expense it used to torture them in their Colosseums they would chuck the Christians to the lions that, that would be their entertainment um, until one day when Constantine who was the Roman Emperor at the time he was off to battle I don't know who he was fighting but you know the Roman Empire was big and had lots of frontiers and so was always you know at, at war in some way with the people on their boundaries and so off to war and troubled in the night before about how difficult this battle was going to be and um, had a vision in the night of uh, a, a fiery cross in the clouds and woke up with this vivid representation of a cross and you know, called his uh, counsel to him and said, "Who, the cross? I had this room about the cross. Who are these people that think the cross is special? Who are the people that worship the God of the cross?" And his, you know, consult said, "Well, you know, they're they're the Christians, this Jewish sect." And he's like, "Christians? Oh, gee, well, 
get them in here. Who we got? And so they bring in some Christians and he asks them a few questions and then thinks, well, I had a vision of this cross. So, okay, sure. Well, then I'll pray to your God. Um, and if, if we have victory in this battle tomorrow, well, then I know that this vision means something and God, your God, is speaking to me. And if your God's speaking to me and we, we win, well, then um, he'll be my God too. So sure enough, uh, they win the battle and Constantine, true to his word, says, okay, we're all Christians now. And so in an instant, makes Christianity the state religion of Rome and uh, cleans out all the pagan temples so that the people who were the religious elite then says, sorry guys, you're out and now we're throwing you to the lions. And Christians, I'm sorry, big misunderstanding. You guys coming out of the cold, we'll put on a fatted calf, we'll clean you up, plenty of food and drink. Um, here's some women. Oh, no, you don't have women. I mean, you don't, you're not like that. Good, no worries. That's fine, no problems. Have these temples, have these clothes, have this food. You're now the special people and we are now Christian. So happy days for the Christians. <laughs> um, but then with that came a lot of Greco-Roman thinking, the, the Stoics, the intellectuals, just the way that the, the they saw the world kind of got imposed into this Jewish sect and all melded into one and and so things changed the way people saw the world changed so um, where the Hebrews kind of thought about this the nature of people as inherently good and then the dilemma being yeah but people still do bad things and so perhaps the problem is that they're lost they're ignorant they have no awareness they're not mature they use the gift of choice and responsibility to hurt themselves and others and so make sense to then submit to wisdom and to trust God and to come back and find the right way so you don't hurt yourself and others um, whereas the the Romans and the Greeks saw it differently they they told the story was no no in the beginning it was perfect um, and then uh, Adam and Eve sinned and when they sinned when they used their gift to do something bad everything changed from that moment and then they fell from perfection ruined the original design and now that that sin uh, that that original sin and that term was coined in the second or third century that original sin is now um, transmitted by a human generation so if you are born a human then you are born into sin no choice of your own but that's the problem we started perfect and and if you're perfect then the, the the moment there's an impurity you are less than perfect so the design's been broken so the, the sense of the fall from grace now living in sin and so therefore the need for a solution becomes slightly different rather than the problem being you're lost you need to come home the problem is now you're bad and deserving of punishment uh, and you'll end up in hell unless you turn and accept a gift given to you uh, and it magically washes you clean and now your nature is good again and then you're in you're in the in group and you're okay and you're fine and everyone else is out so it really segregated people as well and created the cool group and the out group and then uh, you know eventually these christians who'd been persecuted and tormented and the outcasts they become the powerful people and then soon enough the corruption of the early church entered and then they were selling indulgences they were like well look you know your friend or your mom or your dad that died and did they really believe in jesus well look i don't know but i tell you what we've got a special deal if you 
rattle the tin with some extra coins this week, we can say a special prayer and we can move them further along the processing line, put in a good word for them. And I reckon, yeah, we can get something done here. It's going to be okay. They'll end up in heaven. So you'll get to see them in the afterlife. So just speaking to fear and a really great way of controlling people with that narrative. But what if it's a misunderstanding? What if um, there's a better way of understanding the problem? And if there's a better way of understanding the problem, well, then you get you get to connect with God, spirituality, life itself by understanding your own nature rather than trying to escape it. And this is why I love this verse so much because trusting my nature um, means that I find God now in all the most unlikely places. It's as though everything belongs. Whereas my Christian experience there was clear things that did not belong. There were only certain things that belong. You could only do certain things. God only lived in certain places. God only hung out with certain people. You only found God through doing certain activities. If you were to venture outside that, then God was not there. That's not been my experience. And look, just it's, it's probably worth just... And look, I was a wholehearted... Christian for um, you know, all, all my life till early 30s. I, I loved the Christian faith. It made sense to me. It was a beautiful experience to grow up in youth groups and a safe place to find myself and form relationships and be emotional and relational. And uh, I, I loved that experience and I'm very, very grateful for it. And never imagined a world where that wouldn't answer the questions that I was asking you know if the 23 year old version of me could see me now he'd kick my ass he'd take me on the back and give me a flog he was a fired up Christian pastor at 23 I got given the leadership of the church that I grew up in I'd I'd finished or hadn't even finished my degree in theology Um, I'd been leading the youth group Um, our senior pastor retired and um, the oversight of our church decided in their wisdom that I was his replacement so God given the leadership of the church that I grew up in when I was 23 and was terrified that when they announced that decision everyone was going to leave but no one left people thought that was right that I had wisdom beyond my years that I was ready and and I I took that and I, I ran with it. I felt like that was such an honor and a calling and it was central to who I was as a human being and I devoted myself to the work of the Lord. I, I gave myself to that community and to, to being a man of God and that's all I wanted to do with my life and all I wanted to do uh, outside of the church was to, uh, was to share that message that, look, there is a way out of this dilemma of being bad. You can be clean again. You can escape this human nature and find a new nature in Jesus. And uh, I'd go out to the workers' club in Goulburn every Friday night. Um, I, you know, I, I was never into alcohol. I was just there to connect with people. I would listen to Bill. I would talk to Bill, all for the opportunity to share the message of Jesus with people. And I would, I would do that every Friday night this burning desire to see people find what I had found to escape the tension that they must be feeling that I'd felt so I plumbed the depths of the experience as a Christian and and thoroughly enjoyed it and um, when I the way out for me there were there were a few things that began to deconstruct for me to to move beyond that and the first was 
meeting a Greenpeace salesman out the front of church um, one evening and I had a real uh, dislike for, for Greenpeace for some reason. Well, because clearly they were tree-hugging hugging hippies that um, you know were out doing crazy stuff when the good people were, were in the church. That's, that's where that's where the real work was being done and so I didn't like this guy um, but he was he, he cornered me and struck up a conversation and uh, and I got trapped there but amazingly we get to talk and found out that he'd grown up in the church also but he, he described himself as the first person going to hell because he said growing up in church he had this passion for trees and ecology and poverty and the earth's resources and just felt compelled to do something about that and his pastor at the time said, son, uh, you go out there and save trees. We're in here saving souls. The two do not go together. So I was kind of kicked out and thought, oh, well, that makes sense. Sure, I'll go do my thing, though. But felt as far from God as it was possible to be. Um, but the more he talked and just the purity of his message, the wholeheartedness, the sacrifice, the, the diligence, the kindness in his eyes, I, I, I saw God in him. And it shocked me because I thought I had God and he didn't, and it was my job to bring God to him. But here he was, and there were more of the characters of God in him than there were in me. And I was shocked, and it was deeply troubling. <laughs> so it began a lot of questioning for me, and uh, all kinds of interesting reading and conversations, um, and ultimately leading to a point where I got introduced to the coaching skill set from mentor of mine and just felt so compelled that that was a missing piece of technology that I needed it made so much sense uh, and I, I signed up to do a, a two-year diploma the very next week and was off to Sydney a few days later to, to start the first intensive training uh, and I remember being given Tony Robbins book Awaken the Giant Within while I was sitting in the park waiting to go into the class and looking at this book and I felt concerned about the contents of it and thought, I think this guy's going to teach me that I don't need Jesus and I'm not sure how I feel about that. And I sat there in the park and I prayed, God, is this safe? What should I do? Is this? Am I going down the wrong path? Am I going to be led astray here? That's not what I want, but I, I'm desperate to understand the world of human behavioral science and so uh, in that moment I felt as though I got drawn to a, a verse that said God sends rain on the just and the unjust and, and every good gift comes from your father in, in heaven and so just the idea that wisdom is wisdom truth is truth doesn't matter where it comes from what vehicle it's in um, what vessel is containing it if it's truth then it's pure and you can trust it and that was enough for me to go okay well then here I go, I'm about to go into this world and I feel like it's safe. I feel like it's safe to dive in head first. And, and that I did, um, never anticipating that it would deconstruct my faith. Um, it, about two years after that, I uh, had heard a, a coach being interviewed on the podcast that my business partner and I ran and I felt compelled that I had to seek him out and get mentoring from him. He had what I needed, and he was kind enough to have me stay with him uh, in, in Tassie for three days and took me camping. Uh, and and the experience was an open frame that I could, I had access to him, and anything and everything I wanted to talk about was there, all with the intention of becoming a better coach, being sharper at serving people. And so um, 
that that three days um, changed my life maybe more than any other three days have ever changed my life because um, just in his gentle and intelligent way he kept leading with one good question to the next um, and making me think and all the stuff I took for granted that I'd never been willing to question uh, was now being questioned every single part of my life was on the table and uh, and one by one all the blocks of my Christianity came away until there were none left not a single one which was so troubling and terrifying and liberating and exhilarating at the same time because while I instantly felt lost and alone like this personal relationship with God that I had was now made up somehow or not real and I had no access to it anymore now it was just me but then at the same time I've never felt I've never felt more alive the sense of beauty and awe and wonder I uh, I can still feel it now that was a wonderful wonderful experience and it felt pure it felt and it was pure so I came home, home all jacked up on Mountain Dew at this pure experience but not, not a Christian experience I didn't I couldn't have described it as spiritual then because my only way of describing spirituality was, was a Christian spirituality so I didn't have any language for it and I came home and Catherine uh, asked me how it was and I thought I could answer this the long way or the short way <laughs> and either way we're going to get to the same destinations. I might save myself five days and just go straight to the answer. And I said to her, um, yeah, it was, it was wonderful and I'm no longer a Christian. And she said, hmm, okay, well, okay, the, kids will, the kids will probably go to your parents. Um, we'll sell the houses. I'll move back to the Highlands. Uh, but it was just this matter of fact like, oh, well, okay, then we're done here. Because she she was like, who are you? I, I don't know who you are anymore. I, you are not Jamin. You are not the man that I married. The man that I married is a Christian. <laughs> Has devoted his life to serving the Lord and helping others do the same. So if you are not that guy, who are you? And it was a, a remarkable week because uh, I... That was a serious question and a serious complaint. And so I could understand how unsettling it was for her. And yet I'm in the most wonderful, glorious bubble of joy I've ever been in. And so I'm watching myself, I'm watching her, I'm watching the interactions we're having. And I keep saying to her, um, I'm me, it's still me. And all the things you've loved about me are now better. I'm better able to be a husband and father and friend. I'm better able to be me. Um, all the things you've loved about me are now better. And and by the way, good luck finding someone who can love you like I can. <laughs> so, uh, sure, you want to you want to leave, but where are you leaving to? You have you have me here, and I adore you, and um, you're going to be okay. And so, you know, in hindsight, it was clearly just the terror of um, well could she keep up I've just made this ultimate shift and done it very quickly and now what if I no longer desire her um, what if I leave and so a preemptive strike for her to get in first 
nevertheless, we navigated that and began, well, it began a very unsettling season because I dropped out of that pure bliss state and then wrestled with that. What does that mean for the everyday when I'm just just a guy doing my thing? And then, then the real feeling of being lost and separated and alone kicked in and that was troubling. But I couldn't, I couldn't go back to my Christianity even if I wanted to do because it didn't make any sense. It, none of it made sense. It felt like a fairy tale. It felt like a myth. Um, it was there was no concrete ground to return to, and so I, I was at sea. Um, I, I think it was probably two or three years. Maybe it probably was three years. And I think the next turning point was going to Germany, and so not only being alone and separate but then being in a foreign country really putting myself out on a limb all all on a business experiment to see if it was possible to be location independent um, and and really struggling at certain times over there feeling as lonely as I've ever felt and and uh, the beautiful forest the German forest we were in a town right on the edge of the Fichtelgebirg ranges and so being able to walk in that forest was very therapeutic and as I would walk each day, I, I just would look and feel and think and talk and laugh and cry and process life. And one of the things that really was a dramatic, had a dramatic impact on me was just thinking clearly about the physical experience of being in that forest and what was actually taking place purely at a physical level. And I could see that I was breathing in oxygen and exhaling carbon dioxide and the trees all around me were taking that carbon dioxide and transforming it back into oxygen so I could take my next breath and, and they were doing it with love in their heart <laughs> it was the only way that I could think about it because they were doing it not just for me but they were doing it for everyone who'd ever walked in that forest <laughs> and so I, I just thinking purely pragmatically was I am not alone how could I possibly be alone I am connected everyone and everything I, I am breathing air that has been breathed through the centuries through men and women heroes and villains knights and damsels Christians and Jews atheists and Muslims I the same air we are we are breathing it and and, and God is here and I am here and that's all I know. And so uh, the, the book, The Spirit of Intention by Wayne Dyer was, was like a Bible to me in that season because he gave me new language. He gave me non-Christian language that enabled me to, to process what I was in, encountering there in that spiritual life. And so and, you know, coming back to Australia and, and just building on that experience and leaning into it and and the beautiful thing around this and probably the reason I'm telling you this story is all off the back of having resolved the tension with my own nature having known beyond a shadow of a doubt that I am a good man that um, I I have plumbed there is there is no shame in my life because I have plumbed the depths of every embarrassing moment every shameful experience every moment where I've behaved in a way that's hurt myself and others and, and shame says if you knew what I'd done you'd think differently about me but I know everything I've done I was there and I still like me because I've understood what it was that I was seeking, what it was I was trying to achieve, what need was I meeting, what fear was I protecting. Not in a way of justifying any of my behavior, but in a way of understanding it. And to come out the other side going, I know what I've done and I like me. I love me. I am a delightful human being and that I am sure of. 
And so off the back of that, the freedom to walk into an open space where everything belongs. I, I did an LSD trip, a full two-tab LSD trip, uh, this time last year. And again, if a 23-year-old George Pastor would have seen me do that, he would have called the police. Like, that was just, among other things. Um, but that experience, it, it was uh, another mountaintop experience for me. The, uh, the deep, deep in the, in the trip where I was listening to classical music and I couldn't tell whether I was hearing the music, whether I, whether I was feeling the music, or if I was in fact the music. And having this phrase rattle around in my head that I am the music and God is the music. And that phrase made sense of all my past and present and future and and just got caught up in that and just the wonder of that experience. And and coming out of that going, wow, um, LSD would have been completely off limits. God God is not there. There's no way God could be there. So, so there's no way I could have had that. But God was there. God was in the heart of that. And so was I. And that changed my life. Um, I, I love this experience of everything belongs. I had a conversation with a lady a couple of weeks ago, really excited about collaborating with me in the relationship space, and she was coming from the from the nonviolent communication skill set. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. It's a thing. It basically says that there has to be a way of exercising peace and compassion and empathy and patience in your interactions, and being really strong and wholehearted in that to resolve every tension nonviolently. So um, we're talking. I said, "Wow, you know, how do you feel about the book that I've written, Leverage: How to Change the People You Love?" That is a violent way of approaching the same thing. And she understood what I was writing, but she's but her desire was really that I would soften, that I would be more patient, that I would find a better way. Um, and I I heard her, and and we case studied a bunch of situations, and uh, you know, one in particular where my son uh, Elliot. Who is six, he's 16 now. If you've been playing along with previous episodes, that'll be funny to you. But otherwise, don't worry about it. He's 16, and he had a blow up the other day because his phone wasn't working, and that meant he was about to break his streak, his Snapchat streak of sending photos. Um, I don't know where he was up to 500 days or something ridiculous like that, and his phone wasn't updating, and he couldn't do it, and he was it was the end of the world, and so he was not coherent, he wasn't rational, we were, and it was spiraling out of control. And so, theoretically, it probably would have been possible to take the non-violent approach and, you know, have whatever conversations over the next three to six months with him to pull him off the ledge and update the software and sort it out. But I didn't have that amount of time. I had I'd reached the limit of my patience, and so I just grabbed him, I wrestled him, I took him outside and sat on him. Like I got violent, and. <laughs> And Catherine didn't like it, and he didn't like it. I liked it because it solved the problem really quickly. <laughs> and then when he'd settled down, we talked through, we updated the phone. He took a photo of something silly, continued his streaks. We went and talked it through and debriefed, talked about why I wrestled him, whether that was the right thing to do, how we felt about that. We all apologised for our part in any hurt to each other. We high-fived and went about our separate ways so I I just love that like I, I love that I was able to do that and 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 even not get it perfect like I don't know are you supposed to wrestle with kids I don't really know but I did and I'm fine with it 
And she was not fine with it. She was horrified about that story, didn't like it at all. But then the more I heard about her story, I realized that she was compensating for periods of violence in her life. She was treated violently as a girl and she'd watched herself behave violently as a mum and didn't like it. And it came back to this problem with her nature piece. I can't trust myself. I've got to manage myself. So to manage myself, I need to be nonviolent. I will take violence off the table. There is no good in violence. Whereas if everything belongs, then, then good is everywhere. You can find good and God everywhere. I think that is a wonderful experience. You heard me talk about Nashville. Uh, if you haven't, go back and listen to that episode from a few ago where, where I got invited out into the city by a, a gay Jordanian asylum seeker with Asperger's who was my tour guide for the night and gave me a full experience of the Nashville nightlife. So, And, and he told me when we got in the Uber, Jamin, this is how it's going to work tonight. We're just going to walk and we'll end up in the right places. We'll have the right experiences. We'll meet the right people. Are you okay with that? I am okay with that. I'm in your hands. So I don't even know this guy. I'm in a foreign city. It's at night. We're going between comedy clubs and bars and music venues and these stopping cars in the middle of the road and we're ending up in, you know, these off back back street music venues and we're vaping marijuana oil and drinking Tennessee whiskey and, <laughs> and Budweiser's and, and I'm completely surrendered to the experience and safe at the same time. I am watching myself let go, trusting my nature at not one moment in that experience that I feel reckless um, in danger doing something silly rebellious that I would regret tomorrow I'm like I am free to have a wholehearted experience and as I'm doing this you know in in the heart of the experience listening to brother Elsie Elsie in the basement venue in Nashville and I look over at, at my new friend and I think I, I'm not I don't know if this is a setup is this guy God is this guy even real like what a gift to me in the most unusual place God shows up and I get an experience that's transcendent and life-changing and pure. And so blessed are the pure in heart because they will see God. That feels true to me. It feels incredibly true for me. And I don't know how it feels to you. And I don't know what rubs up against that in terms of your religious ideology or your faith background. If any, if there's no faith background getting in the way, there will be some other thing getting in the way because... Because if you can understand that you are inherently good and all notions of being bad are a misunderstanding and require urgent attention, if you don't do that, you will never find God. You will never find true essence of meaning and life and love and liberty.